You're listening to The Corbett Report. CorbettReport.com Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another edition of The Corbett Report. I'm your host, James Corbett of CorbettReport.com, podcasting to you, as always, from the sunny climes of Western Japan, here on the 28th day of June, 2013. Welcome to episode 273 of the Corbett Report podcast. We are still winning. Being profoundly contrarian in nature, I am going to step out of the flow of non-stop doom and gloom coverage of recent events, from the total government surveillance spy grid, to the assassination of journalists like Michael Hastings, to the latest moves toward outright military intervention in Syria, to engage in the thankless and unpopular task of informing you that you are a free human being whose actions have meaning and value, and that our combined efforts in spreading the word about the truth behind the false front of modern-day political reality is, in fact, having a profound effect in transforming the nature of the societal conversation taking place around us and even changing the course of history. Now, it might be a little bit surprising that such a message would be uh, a thankless and unpopular one, given that everyone, when they start to encounter this type of information about the reality behind what's happening in, in everyday politics, everyone always wants to know about the solutions and what can we do about this, what is the positive answer to all of this, or at least that's what a lot of people say. But the sad truth is that a lot of people do get locked into the fear porn and paranoia that surrounds these subjects, and often there is the mindset that the powers behind, the powers that shouldn't be, the powers behind the political facade, rule everything with such an iron fist, with such a 100% ironclad control over every single event taking place in the world, that the overarching message is that there is nothing that we can do about it, that there is nothing that we are doing that is having any effect, that you might as well be in a corner sucking your thumb, because nothing you do will change anything. This is unfortunately the underlying message of a lot of the coverage of these types of events, and to a certain extent, this is just the nature of the events that we're dealing with. And in a sick way, even the alternative media, even the media that is speaking out against this agenda and fighting against it, is to a certain extent playing into that agenda insofar as it is fostering and inculcating that notion that we are all powerless and helpless, and that in fact everything is just unmitigatingly getting worse and worse and worse. If we do not, from time to time, take a step back and appreciate the accomplishments that we have made, that we are making, and that we will continue to make in the future, if we do not take the time to step back and contemplate that, do you think that the powers that shouldn't be will ever give us the space or opportunity to do that? It has to be part of their message and their agenda that they are in control of everything, that you are nothing, and that you can accomplish nothing. So however unpopular it may be, and trust me, these types of programs genuinely are unpopular and will generally generally receive some of the most vicious negative feedback, as well as the smallest viewership and listenership numbers of any of my podcasts. But nevertheless, I think it's important to stress that we are having a profound effect, that we are helping to shape society, and that what we are doing is not in vain. 
And on that note, this is something that we have done from time to time on the podcast in the past. For example, you might turn back to episode 100 of this podcast, We Are Winning, where we went over 100 signs that we are winning this battle against the powers that shouldn't be. I also had a similar uh, episode of my Corbett Report radio broadcast that I'll link up in the show notes for this uh, podcast so that you can go back and listen to that from the archives. But the point is that we do need from time to time to reflect on just how profoundly things are changing, and some of them for the better. At the very least, if part of our mandate here at the Corbett Report and in the alternative media generally is to wake the general population up to some of these profoundly important issues that are being deliberately excluded from their mainstream media programming, then there is no doubt that we have had a remarkable effect. Even in the short six-year existence of the Corbett Report, I can personally attest to the profound transformation in that societal conversation that I have seen here in my tenure at the Corbett Report, where six years ago, the question uh, that was inevitably raised when the idea of false flag terrorism was broached in a mixed conversation, the uh, question that inevitably came up would be, why would the government attack itself? And we have progressed to the point where not only do does the average person now at least understand the concept of false flag terrorism, but as I pointed out in an earlier podcast, we even have Yahoo and other mainstream websites openly contemplating whether such events as the Boston Marathon bombing was a false flag event perpetrated by the government. Now, it doesn't even, to a certain extent, it doesn't even matter that they inevitably come to the conclusion that, of course, it wasn't such an event and that thinking that is crazy. The fact that this is being broached, that headlines are being crafted around this concept, shows just how much we have pushed this into the mainstream consciousness, and that in and of itself is a profound victory in helping to shape that societal conversation, which does set the course of future events. And I'm not here to say that everything is now peachy keen, rainbows and sunshine and lollipops, and that we can all ride off into the sunset happy and content. Certainly not. Certainly there is still much struggle to come. But the fact is we are having an effect, and I think that we need to take some time today to at least appreciate that effect that we're having. So one example that I pointed out recently was that Yahoo News headline that indeed uh, they are now contemplating such things as uh, the Boston bombing might have been a false flag event. Well, I think there's a lot of other uh, examples of that that we can turn to in uh, even the establishment uh, mouthpiece uh, corporate media and even in the pseudo-alternative media, the foundation-funded media of progressives and other types who have been drinking the Obama Kool-Aid for a long time. There is no doubt that we are seeing coverage of events today that would have been unthinkable even a few years ago. Let's cross live to Watford now and speak to the Labour MP, Michael Meacher. A very good morning to you. Uh, An awful lot of people won't even have heard of the Bilderberg Group. So can you give us an idea of what's going on in Watford there today? Uh, After the scandals which we heard about in the Lords uh, last week, uh, David Cameron said he was going to set up measures to ensure Uh, that there was proper regulation of lobbyists and in particular transparency. If there is any conference which required transparency, which required democratic accountability, it is the Bilderberg Conference because this is really where the top brass of Western finance capitalism meet uh, in order to make their deals, listen to each other, lobby, including uh, government ministers, particularly George Osborne and Kenneth Clark, 
And as far as I know, there will be no statement in the House uh, following it uh, saying what happened and how it might affect government policy. This is totally in contradiction uh, to the government's commitment uh, to have greater transparency. George Osborne said in 2010 that he was committed to the most transparent agenda this country had ever seen. And Kenneth Clark said uh, that transparency was the best protection against corruption that any country could have. So why can't we have transparency over the Bilderberg conference? Now, of course, the fact that Sky News is conducting interviews with British MPs who are railing against Bilderberg secrecy is not in and of itself the final end goal of our victory. It does not mean that Bilderberg, or more importantly, the people on its steering committee and the powers that shouldn't be puppeteering that organization have been eliminated or that their influence has been reduced. But at the very least, the fact that this is now part of the mainstream societal conversation means that they do have to bur burrow themselves even further underground and scurry even further away into the recesses and the shadows to attempt to wield their, their influence and their power. And in doing so, some of that influence is indeed reduced. It is less effective for them by far if they are constantly being subject to the light of scrutiny, as we saw in last week's episode talking about the solution of surveillance and people taking this information directly into their own hands and uh, putting these people on record without the intermediary of the corporate-controlled mouthpiece establishment media. So this is, again, this is a positive trend. This is something that is truly helping to shape things for the better. And once again, let's take a step back to think of just some of the recent signs, some of the recent accomplishments that uh, the, the alternative media and, more importantly, the people out there in the public have had in helping to battle back against this uh, this overarching agenda. And we've seen this on a number of different fronts, and we've highlighted it in a number of different conversations here on the program. So let's take a step back and just take a look at some of the, the conversations that we've had here on the Corbett Report and some of the other work that people out there in the, in the general population are doing to highlight some of the incredibly, profoundly positive things that are taking place right now. James, let's not hesitate any longer. Let's get to the good news and show folks that, yes, Portland remains fluoride-free. We'll take it from our own Portland Tribune as Portland voters reject water fluoridation. There weren't too many smiles Tuesday night at the site of the election night party of the pro-fluoride campaign, whose main slogan was, Help PDX Smile, PDX being a nickname of Portland. Measure 26-151 lost by a resounding 3-2 margin, the fourth time in five tries that Portland voters have turned down the idea of fluoridating the city's water supply. Quote, at a very fundamental level, people understand that we don't want more chemicals in our water, end quote, said Kim Kaminsky, leader of Clean Water Portland at a campaign party for fluoride opponents. The nonprofit Upstream Public Health brought the idea of fluoridating Portland's water to the city councilors last year, quietly building majority support on the council before the public really caught wind of the fluoride issue, and it was all back on track in Portland. The council unanimously approved fluoridating Portland's water last September, but the stealth campaign by supporters may have backfired. Fluoridation opponents with little money or professional political help quickly gathered enough signatures to force a public referendum, which happened yesterday, May 21st. Rick North, member of Clean Water Portland's steering committee, said, quote, in 30 days, we put together an operation that gathered 43,000 signatures. 
Portland remains the last major city in the United States without fluoridated water. And now that the voters have spoken yet again, will remain so. James, we couldn't be very much more happy here in Portland as, as myself and my amazing girlfriend were pretty well involved in this fight. And of course, like anything, not as much as you really want to be. I know the night before the vote, I was kind of wringing my hands thinking, man, I didn't do enough. I didn't do enough. We're going to lose. I didn't do it. But it all turned out, I think, pretty well. The interesting thing, James, is somebody, I think, there, there's a documentary film in this to be made. And I think our, our sort of local alternative press, I think, really kind of showed what they're all about. So here's the Willamette Week. You can't handle the tooth. Why the far right and left came together to defeat fluoride. And we also have the Portland Mercury here. The sanest arguments against fluoride and why they're all still wrong. So, again, these are pretty much the youngish magazines that, you know, if we had investigative journalism, and we do a little bit here, they'd see that the community organizations were bought off. There's even new emails showing that the fluoride lobbyists leaned on state legislators, and even that's only just coming out in the last couple of days. So the interesting note is, you know, we'd ask, well, if there's any investigative journalists, maybe they could really kind of blow this story open wide. But I can't help be reminded of in 2008, a journalist for the Portland Mercury exposed our newly elected mayor's improper sexual relations, and her reward was a sweet job with that mayor. James, it would be like you deciding to take a job with Monsanto after you expose them. Go, oh, maybe I should just go, I'll go work for them. We don't work that way, James. And I think this is a, a huge resounding victory. It is. It's a nice little victory for a change. So let's just uh, bask in it for a little while. And this restores my faith in uh, the people of PDX, um, who may buy into the hope and change uh, Kool-Aid. But at any rate, they're drinking clean, fresh water for the time being. Um, I'm glad this this has happened. And I think, again, this is a testament to what can happen when people come together um, from the left and the right, the meaningless divide um, to to uh, to come together on issues of importance for everyone. And as exactly as you say, I think the important thing to take home from this is that the fluoride, the pro-fluoride side was extremely well funded and a political organization and, and, and all of that, and the anti-fluoride was a completely grassroots, self-organized um, grassroots campaign that, that came together and managed to uh, to get the votes uh, for the referendum, get the signatures for the referendum and managed to get it through. Just an incredible testament to what can be done when people really uh, mobilize around an issue like this. So my hat's off to everyone in uh, Portland who, who helped out. And I would like to think too that you know not only did we win but i'd like to think now that we'll be that bellwether for other cities to go hey we can do this too and speaking of monsanto i think hopefully we can kind of take this momentum going into this saturday may 25th the worldwide if not international march against monsanto everybody right now is screaming gmo must go as you may be able to hear in the background there are literally hundreds of people with their cell phones recording this. So what's going to happen is that even though the mainstream media won't cover it for one second, besides some uh, Russia Today channels and everything like that, which are alternative news really, but growing larger every day, largest views on YouTube. But what's happening 
is the reality is that this activism has spread a grassroots video campaign through people with their iPhones and everything like that, and us as well, and naturalsociety.com, recording this, and ultimately it will go viral online because of just the fact that so many people around the world, this is in Philadelphia right now, but just imagine around the world, this happening sometimes on an even larger scale in certain areas like Austin, which I know there's about 10,000 people supposed to turn out, uh, San Diego, Los Angeles, et cetera, even New York City. But here in Philadelphia, I find it amazing because the fact that you can hear the yelling. Most people probably, you would think, wouldn't even show up to this living downtown, inner city, not really even having a Whole Foods in the vicinity. But of course, there are about a thousand plus people. Let's talk a little bit about the, uh, the public um, uh, reaction and exposure that this year's Bilderberg received. Sure. Well, one of the things that came out of this is uh, the fact that thousands of people showed up. <clears throat> that means that the mainstream media can no longer just ignore this. I mean, they've been doing that for decades now. And when you have thousands of people descending upon an event like this, they can just simply no longer ignore it. So that's a good thing that came out of this. I, I know um, CNN covered it. Uh, some other major newspapers covered it. BBC was even there. Uh, however, uh, noticing the coverage from the BBC, it was a little bit slanted. I noticed they took the take of uh, trying to portray everybody as crazy conspiracy theorists, and they didn't really pay a lot of attention to the Bilderberg group itself, some of the people who are inside, some of the things that are being talked about. Uh, they kind of focused on this large crowd of people who gathered outside this fringe element who they considered uh, crazy conspiracy theorists. But at least they're starting to show up. So I think that's a, a step in the, the right direction. The fact that mainstream media is starting to have to show up to these things. Yes, their coverage is slanted. Yes, they are spinning this to try to make people look crazy. But at least they're still getting that word Bilderberg out into the minds of the masses. So again, uh, just, just the fact that mainstream is starting to show up to these types of events is a sign that we're, we're taking the steps in the right direction. So it gives me a lot of hope, a lot of inspiration to, to just imagine what may come, come of this in, in the coming years. And next year's Bilderberg and the Bilderberg after that, you know, if we got thousands of people this year, we, we might see tens of thousands in the next couple Bilderbergs. So, I mean, the mainstream media has got no, no choice anymore but to have to come out and cover these kinds of events because of the amount of exposure that we're starting to get with the numbers that we're starting to get as well. Once again, all of these issues are extremely important and the fact that there is growing, rising opposition and that opposition is having more and more effect is to our credit and is something that we do need to take a moment to pat ourselves on the back about because again we are having an effect we are battling back against this what we are doing is not in vain and the uh, your ultimate enslavement is only assured if you believe in your mind that it is insured once again this is a battle for your con perceptions your consciousness and if they can make you believe that you are already enslaved and that everything that happens in this world is controlled well, then you are a slave. So in order to assert your freedom, you have to recognize that there are things that are being done that are battling back against this and are having an effect. So let's, again, let's take a moment to think 
about some of the things that are happening right now that are signs that there is a positive transformation of society that's taking place. Even as some of the news gets more and more gloomy, there is in rising exactly in conjunction with that a, uh, a movement of people who are, as Brzezinski and others have, have fretted about in recent years, for the first time in history, a global political awakening is taking place. So this is an important time in history, and it's one that we have to recognize and use to our full advantage. Let, and in that, on that note, in that regard, I recently reached out to Richard Grove of TragedyAndHope.com. Of course, he should be familiar to all of the listeners of the Corbett Report, but for those who aren't, I would suggest you at the very least check out the Peace Revolution podcast at PeaceRevolution.org, as well as his absolutely essential five-hour conversation with John Taylor Gatto, the ultimate history lesson, which is available from tragedyandhope.com. And I would hope that you would uh, check out some of that work. But in that regard, I reached out recently to Richard Grove to talk about this issue of positive things, signs that we are still winning this fight, and that we do have the chance ultimately to win the big fight overall. And, uh, and Richard was not only good enough to respond to my request, but was able to put together a, an entire video for this podcast on very short notice. So hats off to Richard Grove for preparing this. Let's take a look at tragedyandhope.com's ideas of reasons that we are winning. Hi, I'm Richard Grove from tragedyandhope.com reporting for the Corbett Report. These are the top 10 signs that we're still winning. We being all individuals who value logic, reason, and liberty. Reason number 10. Despite the hype and hoopla, nobody seems to care that World War Z was released, as it seems that millions of individuals have already seen through its eugenics, population reduction, world government, psyop agenda. Reason number 9. NSA spying makes everyone feel like they're now part of the game, giving Americans and folks around the world common ground to wake up and smell the tyranny. Reason number eight. The term whistleblower is finally more popular in the public vernacular than the term conspiracy theorist, which means that individuals are finally realizing that the reasons behind the war on terror and other schemes of power are intellectually bankrupt and should not be tolerated. Reason number seven. Individuals learning more about their government as they see more and more independent media coverage, which illustrates the glaring contradictions in the cartel media's propaganda productions. Reason number six, methods for meeting our needs through empathetic communication with each other. So instead of arguing with each other, we can observe and identify our mutual needs and our mutual opposition putting us at odds with each other in the first place. We can learn to outgrow this divide and conquer mentality of either or and integrate the thinking of also and into our communications, whereby we the people cannot be defeated by irrationality. Reason number five, methods for validating the contents of our mind. This is one of the most essential skills individuals are learning all over the world, which proves that we're still winning. For it's the merging of our own subjective personal journeys with others in the world by creating a valued currency founded on knowledge expressed as wisdom with consistent integrity. As Steve Biko once said, the most potent weapon in the hands of the oppressor is the mind of the oppressed. Reason number four, independent media. If there were no alternative to corporate cartel media and their parroting of White House talking points, all of us would be at a loss, feeling alone and confused because we're being direly misinformed every day. Thankfully, there are alternatives and plenty of them, and individuals are making it a point 
to seek out non-cartel perspectives, making independent media more popular today than at any other point in human history. Reason number three, independent media partners. None of us can do this alone, so I'm thankful every day and appreciative for being surrounded by competent, honest, and hardworking individuals who make what I do worth doing. And it's through those synergistic and complementary efforts that each of our actions combines in this convection current of causality. Reason number two, your ability to learn how to be the change you want to see in the world by sharing empowering media which inspires cognitive liberty on the internet and away from keyboard. You are the most powerful force and resource that you have. After all, the best students are the ones who become their own teachers. And the number one reason why we're still winning. You. You make all of this possible. As commercial free media platforms, we the hosts and creators of independent media owe our thanks to you for tuning in and not dropping out. James, thank you for this opportunity to share these thoughts with your audience and for offering a platform for Parhesia par excellence. Thank you once again to Richard Grove for preparing that video, and I think very good points to be made there. And again, it isn't just airy-fairy, happy, good, touchy-feely thinking to point out the fact that there are more and more people waking up to the agenda and more and more people resisting that agenda. I think that that resistance is having a profound effect on shaping the, the course of events, and that uh, at the very least, the establishment is having to react to that awakening in different ways that even exposes their agenda even more. And again, this is for the positive, because their agenda is only supported by our mindless complicity with the system and the status quo. As long as we go along to get along, the system will do just fine and will continue to become more and more refined in its enslavement techniques. But when an informed and resistant populace rises up and act, acts against that agenda, then there is nothing that they can do to sustain it because it really does rely on our participation, active or otherwise. And in that regard, I think that one perfect example of this is a phenomenon that I mentioned recently in a conversation I just recorded with Niall Bowie about the Trans-Pacific Partnership Agreement. And I asked him what the average person can do as a solution to what's happening right now in the closed door, under lock and key Trans-Pacific Partnership Agreements, where the public isn't even allowed to know what these agreements contain, except for what is leaked out from, uh, from unnamed uh, anonymous sources. Well, this does present quite a dilly of a pickle, to, to use a phrase, uh, for the people out there who are resistant to the TPPA and everything that it represents and the fact that it's NAFTA on steroids but now involves the entire Asia-Pacific region. To people who are resistant to that agenda, it does raise the question of what we can do about it. This is a question that I posed to Niall Bowie, and I think we had an interesting and valuable discussion about the solution to this type of problem. Well, I certainly hope that you're successful with that, but for the average person out there listening, whether in Malaysia or in Japan or in Canada or wherever it is, who are concerned about this, and there are people from all across the spectrum concerned about this for different reasons, as you mentioned, Japanese farmers or people in Malaysia concerned about the cost of medicine, etc., etc., or anyone anywhere concerned about the internet and the free flow of information, there's lots of reasons to be opposed to this. What can people do to become a part of this opposition movement? What can they do to make their voice heard on this issue? Right. Well, this is something that I've been, a question I've been playing with in my head as well. And one of my ideas, you know, uh, once, once um, my kind of work goes a little bit more into the in the field type of activism right now, it's really sort of behind the desk writing, 
you know. Um, but what I think uh, regular people can do is uh, maybe find some information about the Trans-Pacific Partnership, uh, uh, create a couple bullet points, maybe a small document, translate it into a local language if you're not an English-speaking country, and uh, stand outside of a you know populated area and pass out some documents and tell people about the Trans-Pacific Partnership. You know, uh, memorize a, f a few bullet points. Uh, talk about it, get to understand the issue, and just tell people about it. It's as simple as literally just telling your friends and, and people who you think would, um, would benefit from the information. I mean, nowadays our generation, uh, our age group people are not really uh, keen to talk about anything so serious, you know, so people uh, are not so excited to hear about a, a trade deal, which is basically quite bland, you know, uh, seemingly. But, but there is a lot in there that we should be concerned about. So I think the, the easiest way to start is a on the street sort of activism. But if people are too shy to do that, at least just share articles about the Trans-Pacific Partnership on your social media sites. And uh, I mean, it's certainly more um, more useful than people posting pictures of their food or or whatever, Justin Bieber's haircut. Who, who knows what people are listening to or are onto these days. But um, but certainly the T TPP is very important. So uh, at minimum. At least share information if you're not going to go out and be out in the street handing out flyers or doing whatever. So that's what I would say. Well, I couldn't agree more. And for people who are incredulous about the effect that that can have, they only have to think of the fact that all of the major free trade deals in the past several years have been brought down largely by people be becoming active and aware about these issues. Uh, that's the first step in the process. And whether it's the Free Trade Area of the Americas or the SPP or whatever it is, there's been a number of major deals that have been scuppered because people got motivated and active and started to become aware of it. So we are all links in that chain of spreading this information around and getting people on board. And uh, and I think they've learned their lesson, which is why this is so secretive and why they're trying to keep it so much under wraps. So the answer has to be trying to spread awareness and information about this. So I, I agree completely on that point. Once again, Niall Bowie of niallbowie.blogspot.com talking about the Trans-Pacific Partnership Agreement that is currently being hammered out behind closed doors by several of the Asian Pacific nations, including the United States, in a giant free trade deal, to which there is a growing opposition movement. But the question is, what can be done? And I think exactly as Niall says, it is absolutely the most important thing we can do is to spread awareness of this. And again, this is something that we have learnt from the last well, over a decade now of anti-globalization, the anti-globalization movement, that when there is widespread public knowledge and consciousness about these issues and about these types of trade deals, the vast majority of the public is on our side. They are against these deals. They are against this encroaching neoliberal globalization takeover of the entire planet. And people understand what this agenda is really about and that it is not in their interests. And whether you phrase that as being in the interest of the 1% or however you want to phrase it, it is certainly not in the interest of the average person. And again, these deals cannot go through when there is widespread public knowledge and opposition to them, as evidenced not only by things like the Doha round of the WTO or the uh, free trade area of the Americas, but perhaps most startlingly, most interestingly, in the case of this SPP, the Security and Prosperity Partnership, which if you have not heard about, I suggest, I wholeheartedly suggest you go and take a look at 
that because it was a, a perfect example of what we're talking about here. A, tr a free trade agreement that was being hammered out between uh, Canada, the United States, and Mexico in the middle part of the last decade, completely behind closed doors, in secret, in direct collaboration with the business partners who and the large corporations who were getting a seat at the table while the public was being completely excluded. And anytime uh, there was questions raised about what was happening in these talks, you'd have people like Prime Minister uh, Stephen Harper of Canada talking about, oh, people are worried because we're uh, trying to standardize the, the size of jelly beans or something to that effect. But they think we're building an interplanetary highway to Mars and uh, tried to laugh it off. But the opposition became so overwhelming to the SPP and the protests became so overwhelming that they had to turn tail and run. And basically they scrapped the SPP and are now working again, of course, diligently at the North American Union behind the scenes under other auspices. But the point is that every time they bring these up, we can send them back packing. We can, we can quash all of these ideas and deals simply by getting people aware of and motivated again them. And it is important to understand that effect. So I am wholeheartedly in accordance with what Niall Bowie was talking about there. And all of the, I think this applies to all of the different issues that we're, we're talking about on a regular basis here. Again, the vast majority of which, the vast majority of the population is on our side. People understand, even if they don't want to call it for what it is, people understand that the military industrial complex, which of course always benefits from these false flag terror operations to keep the public in a state of panic, really does only serve to benefit the very few who are at the tops of these very large military contractors and the people in the governments in nice cushy jobs puppeteering the, uh, the the public administration side of these wars. It only serves their interest. It does not serve the average citizen. Similarly, when it comes to the GMO agenda or so many of the other things that are happening right now, people are genu generally and genuinely aware of what's what's happening and more and more people are waking up to this paradigm every single day. And this this is an exceptionally important point because, again, it only takes a few percentage point of the population to be awake and aware and active on these issues for the society generally to change because the vast majority of the population will go along with whatever seems to be the underlying uh, assumed social reality of the day and we are changing the fabric of that reality. So once again, I think that it is important for us to understand that we are having an effect. It is important to take a moment to appreciate the uh, the effect that we're having. And in that regard, I recently I reached out also to listeners of the podcast and to uh, to people in the Corbett Report audience generally, both uh, through um, one of my interviews where I put out the word and also on Twitter where I asked people to uh, to send in their ideas of how they think that we are we are winning uh, positive signs that we are having an effect. And unfortunately, once again, proving the utter unpopularity of this point, there were only two responses, and uh, that's a pretty sad indictment of this, but hopefully we can generate some more ideas, both in the comment section of this YouTube video, but also through the contact form on CorbettReport.com and also via Twitter. But let's just look at a couple of the ideas I received. First of all, we had a tweet in from Caleb Payne at Caleb Everton, uh, who wrote, uh, we are winning because the technology the, the technology they intended to enslave us with is actually helping us free others exponentially. And I think Caleb is touching on a point there that is exactly in line with what we were talking about on the podcast last week when we were talking about surveillance and the citizen media and the fact that this technology, the, uh, the cameras that are built into all our phones and everything that, of course, the government is using to create the total government surveillance network 
is also something that we can use in our own hands to do things like confronting some of these uh, these politicians and other would-be super gophers for the elite uh, it, at every possible opportunity that is sending them packing, that is making them scared, that is making people like Brzezinski fret and wring his hands about the global political awakening and trying desperately to find out how to put the population back to sleep. But it is a genie out of the bottle, it is toothpaste out of the tube, and there is no putting it back at this point. And I think absolutely we can, at the very least, if we have this technology, it might be better to build systems around the technology or outside of that paradigm altogether, but as long as we do actually physically possess this technology, why not use it to spread awareness exactly as we are doing and exactly with the effect that we are having to wake more and more people up to this paradigm? One other response that I received, uh, I had a listener email in this story from fromthetrenchesworldreport.com. Attempted land grab ends with voters booting entire city council. I'll uh, put the link in the show notes so you can go and read that story for yourself. But again, every single week there are stories like this coming out where people are taking this the uh, actions into their own hand and are shaping things for the better. And these stories don't get highlighted nearly enough or nearly as often because, well, whatever reason we want to, to assign to that, whether it's because of just fundamental human psychology that we are hardwired to look for threats and thus are more interested in scaremongering, fear-grabbing, fear-porn headlines that tell us that the world is ending. Stay tuned for more at 11. But, uh, but there are positive stories that are taking place around the world every single day. And if we do not take at least some time to acknowledge them and appreciate them, then our viewpoint of the world will be warped by the constant attention to the negativity and the bad things that are happening. So again, this is part of the Corbett Report's mantra and, and its uh, reason for existing is to let people know that they are having an effect, that this entire operation is not in vain, that we are changing and shaping society for the better, little by little. On that very note, I would like to highlight one more email that we got in recently from Jeff. And Jeff writes... I've been listening to The Corbett Report since November 2012, and you have re reawoken me and given me inspiration and hope to start caring again. I've always understood the corruption and the fact that a small group really pulls the strings. However, as a result of listening to your broadcast, you have given me the power to reevaluate what I am doing in my life and to actually start taking control and making a life based on my wants, not what society has told me I should do. You also got me back into paying attention to politics and not just giving up, as I previously had lost hope and gave into just going along with the crowd. End quote. Thank you so much for that uh, testimonial, Jeff. I truly appreciate it, and not for my own sake. I am just humbled to be one of the many, many messengers that are out there attesting to the fact that the people really do have the power and that the uh, the 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 ultimate end goal of this, whether we end in victory or defeat, is ultimately up to us, and it is up to the actions that we are taking each and every day. And it is not through some sort of battle with uh, the forces that, that are trying to, to array themselves against us. It is not by going to a voting booth every four years and pulling a lever and hoping that will magically make things better, but by fundamentally transforming our own lives and taking the responsibility for the actions that we take every single day in what we choose to invest our time and our money and our energy in doing and interacting with. It is only through that action that we can build up the alternative which makes whatever is happening in the political facade that is dangled before us utterly 
irrelevant. The point is not to overthrow the system or to engage with it or to try to reform it or anything like that. It is to grow a completely different system that is completely 180 degrees opposite to what they're trying to do and completely detached so it doesn't matter what they're doing in their make-believe uh, funny money phony reality world. And we have talked about this and we will continue to talk about this time and time and time again on the pro podcast, the actual solutions that people can implement in their daily lives starting today, whether that be invol uh, getting involved with alternative or complementary currencies, whether that may be uh, taking advantage of the surveillance technologies and joining the citizen media to help raise awareness of these issues, whether it be sourcing local and, uh, and organic foods as opposed to the big agra, big food, GMO monstrosities that are being forced on us through the supermarkets and the processed crap that's being passed off as food these days, or any of the other things that we've touched on in this podcast through the Solutions series of the podcast or the Lessons in Resistance series of the podcast where we've looked at these in great detail before. There are lots of ideas out there and we are continuing to bring them to you, but it is up to you to take that ball and run with it because ultimately, again, this is about what you do with your time, your money, your energy, and your mind. This is a battle for your mind, your perception, and your awareness. And as I've said before, I'll say it again. The, the, the old adage has it that no one is more truly enslaved than those who falsely believe themselves to be free. But I think there is only one type of person who is more enslaved than that. And that is the people who falsely believe themselves to be enslaved. If you believe that you are a slave, if you believe that fundamentally you are enslaved by this system and there is nothing that you can do to fight against it and everything is bad news, well, then you have already lost and there is no hope and you might as well go into a corner and suck your thumb. Meanwhile, myself, who does not believe that, will continue trying to spread awareness of the things that people can do to take matters into their own hands and ultimately to win this battle. We're going to leave things there for this week. Once again, this is James Corbett of CorbettReport.com. Thank you, thanking you for tuning in and reminding you that this independent alternative media is brought to you by you guys out there. I do appreciate your support. And once again, you can sign up for a subscriber newsletter or purchase a DVD through CorbettReport.com. I do appreciate that and rely on your support to keep this media coming. So on that note, we'll leave it there for this week. And I'm looking forward to talking to you again next week. The Corbett Report is brought to you by The Corbett Report subscriber. A weekly newsletter featuring James Corbett's international forecaster editorial, recommended reading and viewing, discounts on Corbett Report DVDs, and once a month, a subscriber-only video. Sign up today to start receiving your copy at corbettreport.com support.